What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Monday edition of Texans All Access, a Memorial Day edition of Texans All Access, where we remember, honor, and give thanks to all of those who have made the sacrifice for our great nation, for the freedoms that we have, that those in the military have provided for all of us, a tip of the cap, and a sincere uh, thank you to all of those uh, that have served uh, and those that served and unfortunately perished fighting for this great nation. Um, this show, is, as all things should be, but this show in particular, is for you. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, fresh off four hours earlier in the day with my man B. Scott, Brandon Scott, and I had a great Southwest Texas, Southwest Houston takeover edition of In the Loop. That was a fun time. But it's all Texans now, baby. Although it was pretty much all Texans today. Well, not really. We did we kind of mixed it up a little bit. That was fun. We talked a little Astros, a little Rockets. But we're talking Texans tonight, and we're going to hear from three great Texans, two former Texans and one current Texan. That current Texan we're going to hear from just also happens to be from Houston. That's Obo Okoronkwo, who sat down with our good friend, D.P. City. They chopped it up. Got a little bit of knowledge about the former L.A. Ram, former Oklahoma Sooner, and former A-League football star. Oh, and we also found out it's Oboe or it's Obeezy. DP, take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. Joining me today, Oboe Okoronkwo. There you go. All right, and it's Oboe is short for... Obonea. Obonea. So I can call you Obo. That's you, cool. You can call me Obo or Obizi, whatever one you like. Oh, I like Obizi. For sure, for sure. Yeah, that's your that's your handle on Instagram and Twitter and everything, yes, right? Yes, All right. So Obo is Okoronko is Nigerian. Yes, ma'am. You're from Nigeria. Yes, ma'am. Or your parents are. My parents are from Nigeria. Okay. Well, welcome to the Houston Texans. We just signed you as a free agent here in March, but you're not really new to Houston because you grew up in Ailey. Yes, so ma'am. What's it like being back in H-Town after all these years? Um, it's a dream come true, you know, to be able to go win a Super Bowl and then come home. Like, that's like a, a storybook. It really is. I mean, you were a part of the Rams championship run. You played in all the playoff games. Was making the decision come, to come to Houston about the location? I mean, what went into that decision to come sign with the Texans? Just love you some business. The system that he runs here is just very player friendly. It's very D-line and pass rusher friendly. Then getting to come home, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't pass on those two things. Yeah, I mean, he says it's a linebacker-friendly defense. You're a linebacker, so what excites you the most about playing in this defense? Uh, just being able just to uh, just to go, you know, just to react and, and use your athleticism and run. So, although you obviously you play football, you got a lot of talents as well, and we just wrapped up the 2022 NFL Draft in Vegas, and you were a correspondent for the NFL. You were out there with your camera. I knew you like to take a lot of pictures, so tell me how that all sort of came about, you getting to do that for the league. I think somebody uh, heard that I, I like to take pictures, so they hit up the Rams, I guess the player personnel people, and they were like, oh, he's not here anymore, but we can shoot him the message, you know? So uh, it was Jack Quez McClendon from, from the Rams. So he texted me like, hey, I have an opportunity for you, you know, and I'm like, you know, let me hear it. And then he was all like, <laughs> he'll be shooting the red carpet for the draft, and I'm like... <laughs> like, well, okay, but how do they know? How does the league know that you're? How you been taking oh, pictures so, for a long time? So during the Super Bowl, um, I wanted to do something really cool because you know that's like a, it could be a once in a lifetime opportunity. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully not. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. it won't be. Okay, it won't um, be. So uninterrupted uh, hit me up and wanted to, wanted me to do like something 
well, with my photography, but because I guess they stumbled across my page. I'm with Clutch Sports, so okay. you know, th- yeah. So when they stumbled across my page, they asked me if I wanted to do something, you know, with my camera for the Super Bowl. So I, I just, you know, slept on it for a couple of days. I thought about it, and then I came up with the plan to get a bunch of disposable cameras, give them to everybody in the locker room, and just log the week through the disposable. I cameras. saw some of those pictures. So we, okay. So we even uh, logged the the game after the game, going to the game the week of practice on the field, out in the locker room, and then even the parade. And then we turned in all the pictures, and then um, we got to, all, as a team, look through all of them, and it was That's really amazing. fun. Yeah. What was the best part about covering the red carpet at the draft? I mean, obviously, I would imagine the Super Bowl is a little bit more stressful because you got to play a game, but mm-hmm. now it's like you could just focus on your craft and take pictures. What was the most enjoyable moment of just covering the draft? I think just seeing uh, the young guys with their families, you know, just uh, seeing them enjoy their day. You know, it was a lot of just genuine happiness out there. It was beautiful. All right, so how did you get into photography? You've been doing this for a long time? Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. I think it was always a hobby of mine, but um, a couple years ago I got I had an, like a six-week injury on my elbow. Okay. It was about it was like my second year in the league, and when I was down for, the, for that time just to, just to stay up, keep my spirits up, um, I sort of just got into it a little bit more. And then from there it just, it just grew bigger and bigger. So how much equipment do you have? Because I, I dabbled in photography like a long time ago. It's not cheap, but how how many lenses? What sort of equipment are, you, are we talking about here? Uh, I got a couple of toys. Uh, I got I got a. What's got your camera first of all? Sony A7R3. Okay, and I'm how a ma- Sony guy. And, You're a Sony guy. All and right. that, that's it's, it's, a, it's not too pricey, but it's a it's a medium like priced camera. Okay, and then how many how many lenses would you say you have? Maybe five. Okay. I got um. I got some prime lenses that's just like a, just a, you know, 50 or 35, and then I got a lot of zoom lenses, you know, just some that give me some more depth and, and such. Okay, so I saw some of your pictures from the draft. How many lenses did you have to take? How much equipment? How long were you working? What did the days look like when okay. you were there? I worked for about three hours. I brought one cam, oh, I brought two cameras, a film camera and a digital camera, and then two lenses for the, the digital. Okay. So I switched between those. got some for portraits and some for... Just why everybody was just mingling. Was there any pressure? Did you feel stressed doing that? Like, did you feel like? Oh no, not this at all. This is a high-profile high, yeah. high moment. Like you're trying to capture them all. I was just having fun, honestly. Okay. Uh, it was it was really cool. You know, um, it wasn't like so. Me being on the on the red carpet and talking to them is different than a regular photographer because they know I've been in the league for five years. That's true. So you know the way that they receive me and talk to me is a little differently than they would a regular photographer. So we were just having fun. We were talking. We were. They were even asking me questions like. Like that, only like me and them could hear. It was cool. Okay. Did did it kind of bring you back to your first year in the league and just definitely, you know, being, yeah. Uh, just like all those question marks, you know, like you know you're gonna get drafted. Well, you hope you're gonna get drafted, and then it's just like it's just a just a a bunch of questions afterwards. Like you know, when do I have to leave? When do I have to show up? Do, when I get there, am I gonna be in shape? You know, there's just yeah, all these sure, questions sure. that you have, and then you know, we it was cool that I could just alleviate some of that for them. All right, so I find it interesting that you said you only took up photography when you were in the league. So growing up, I had read somewhere that you only started playing football as a sophomore in high school. Is that correct? Yes, so ma'am. how did you get into football, first of all? <laughs> um, so I... Uh, Probably somebody saw you and was like, this guy yeah, should so be playing football. I, I, That's usually I was, how it works I wasn't, out, but. I wasn't always uh, this build, you know. Um, okay. I had like a, a growth spurt, I think, that summer going into sophomore, sophomore year. Were you athletic? Did you play other sports up a until skateboarder. then? You skateboarded. Yeah, skateboarded. Like you weren't playing any team sports? No, ma'am. And then who saw you and said, you know what? 
The skateboarder looks like he'd make a good football player. He was two, two of my coaches. One of them, uh, he was like my health teacher and my coach is Brian Randall. Uh, he's a he's a coach out here. I was gonna say your skateboarding coach. Oh, okay, no. <laughs> your health teacher. Yeah, okay. my health teacher. He was a, a health teacher and a coach. Okay. And then um, my other coach, Coach Lanza, they were just like, "Hey, man, like, you're built to play football," and I was like, mm, "I don't know," because I hadn't really, you know, played from that point. Sure. I've watched it, and I, my dad's like a big fan, but I had never really just been like got to just get physical with anybody, you know, like ever. So then when I went out there. It it was fun. It sort of came natural, you know. And I played a couple games, and by the end of the year, I had a couple scholarships to go play, you know, at good, like really like good schools, and that was an opportunity of a lifetime. So well, yeah, of so, course. So football, like from that point on, like I knew like it was gonna be what I need, you know, what I what I did to propel my life forward. Before you became a football player, if you weren't gonna do football, what were you planning on doing? I wanted to be a social worker. You did. Yes, ma'am. Okay, and. What propelled you into social work as a um, Just like giving back to my community. Um, uh, where I, f- I feel like where I'm from, um, it's a little different. A lot of people don't know what they want to do after high school. You know, I feel like I just want to be able to be a voice and, you know, just a guide for, like, children my age who felt how I felt at that time. All right. So you're now you're back in Houston. You grew up in A-Leaf. What's it like being back in Houston after all these years? Man, I feel, I'm feeling the love, man. You uh, are? I'm feeling the love in the city. You know, it's just... It's just great everywhere I, everywhere I go, you know. It's like, I feel like, oh, do, like, do these people even know my name? They're calling me champ. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you, did you go back to your old stomping grounds? Did um, you go back to A-Leaf or check out the high school um, not, or your neighborhood? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, I planned on throwing a camp soon. Um, okay. So when I threw that camp, I was going to invite, like, everybody from, like, A-Leaf, the southwest A-Leaf area to, for, for a camp for the kids. All right, tell us about the camp. When is it? Where is it? And how do people sign up? So no dates yet. We're still working out the logistics because I want the D-line there. I'm okay. trying to get uh, my D-line coach there. So we're all just trying to find a date that works well for all of us. But I- I'll let y'all know as soon as I know. All right, so coming out this summer sometime in Houston, you're going to put on a football camp yes, for ma'am. kids. Uh-huh. I'm also going to have like a health day. I'm going to do that with Juiceland. Okay. Yeah, with Juiceland. I'm just trying to, you know, just promote health uh, and, you know, um, I, I I think health is like really important, and I think that we should like inform children about health before Being healthy before, and, before yeah. they're adults. You know, I learned when I was adult, but I wish I wish as a young child that somebody would have just showed me what health you know some healthier options. So I'm having a health day with Juiceland. We're just gonna just you know just promote wellness. How healthy are you now as an athlete, as a professional athlete? I mean, I have my cheat days, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, honest, yeah, yeah. For the most part, I'm fairly clean with my eating. All right. So, how about this off-season workout program? I know you're sort of in the middle of it now, but but what about for you personally? This off-season, what, what's it been like for you it's just been, getting to know your teammates? It's been fun meeting everybody. There's a lot of personalities in there. Uh, there's a lot of talent in there. Mm-hmm. And then the draft, we had a we knocked the draft out of the park. So, you know, I'm just ready to see it all like come together and be cohesive. You know. Really excited about being here. I love the way that this team works. You know, uh, every day I feel like this team is just getting a little closer and a little better. I'm excited to see what what happens this fall. All right. Well, we're excited to see you as well. And maybe we'll see some more pictures from you here at, like, camp or throughout the season. Yeah, maybe. Right now, right now, worried about winning the championship. All right. I like that. Well, you've got experience there as well. So thanks so much for joining us. Obo, Okoronkwo, <laughs> Obizi for sure. Right? We're going to call you Obizi because <laughs> yeah, I, like I feel that. like that's what it rolls off the tongue. Pleasure meeting you, and best of luck this season. Thank you. Been celebrating the city of Houston and the people from it all day long. Did it with my man B. Scott, now doing it with Obo Okoronkwo. Now, another guy who eventually made Houston his home, 
was Steve McKinney. The skinny was Steve McKinney. That's next. A little Where Are They Now with Drew Doherty right here on Texans All Access. All Access. All. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access. I feel like I've been talking all, all day, and that's pretty much because I have. So I'm handing this football off, and I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, to my good friend Drew Doherty, who is going to share the next few minutes with our good friend Steve McKinney. Now, Steve McKinney was one of the first Texans I got to know. I moved back to Houston. We started our radio station in 2007. And we obviously weren't going to have access to Andre Johnson, Matt Schaub, et cetera. And so we went looking for people that were going to be great radio, regardless of what position they played, where they were from. Well, Steve McKinney just happened to be a guy we all fell in love with at our radio station. So I got a chance to know him, loved him, still love him. He is fantastic. He is a good ag. And he spent some time with Drew Doherty, who is a good Mustang an SMU Mustang. So SMU and AM getting together. No talk about a trans AM in this one. Just a lot of talk about Steve McKinney and a little where are they now? Drew, take it away. Well, this is a fun one because we've got an OG, literally, figuratively, but we got Steve McKinney, offensive guard, offensive lineman, original text. I mean, all these things that you can say, but Steve, you played for the team 2002 to 2007. You'd already been in the league for four years prior with the Indianapolis Colts, and we're going to get into that, but first things first, how are you doing, and where are you these days? What's going on? Well, I am, I'm doing great, first of all. You know, post-COVID life is, uh, is much better, and, yeah. um, you know, I've been, uh, been doing McDonald's now for about 12 years since I got out of, got out of football, so that's pretty much all I do, man. I do, uh, I do McDonald's and help my son train to be, uh, to be where I'm at one day. And how's that going? It's going pretty good. You know, he's only in eighth grade, but, uh, you know, he has, he has the desire and the work ethic. So, you know, the rest is in God's hands, I guess. Yeah, that's good stuff. You are born in Galveston. You went and played your high school ball at Clear Lake. Where are you these days specifically? Where are you living? Oh, okay. Yeah, I live in uh, Montgomery, actually. Okay. Moved out to Montgomery. I, 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 you know, went to high school in Clear Lake, uh, Centerville, Prior to that, actually, small town. How about that? And then, uh, you know, when I was playing with the Texans, we lived over in Friendswood, mm-hmm. mostly because it was an area I was familiar with, having, you know, grown up in Clear Lake. And, uh, yeah, we moved out to Montgomery, man, right after I got done playing. I bought the, uh, bought the McDonald's down there in Madisonville uh-huh. back in 2010. And uh, couldn't, couldn't be driving from Friendswood to Madisonville every day. So we, uh, <laughs> we moved out to Montgomery, which is only about an hour away. Uh, you know, that's how we, that's how we ended up there, planted roots and it's been good. You know, it's a very, it's a nice community, you know, good people. So on the edge of the piney woods. And I, uh, you know, I went to school in Dallas for a bit and lived in Dallas for a bit. So I guarantee I stopped at that, uh, McDonald's in Madisonville a time or two. (laughs) As well as I think, I think you got one in Huntsville too, right? Am I, am I, that that one's not mine. No. Okay. Okay. Sorry. One of these days, hopefully I'll, I'll get that one, but, uh, yeah, we got, we got the one in Madisonville and then I got, you know, a few in Montgomery area and kind of all over Houston at this point, we're pretty, pretty spread out. That's fantastic. How did you get into that? Because obviously you you know, you're in the NFL for a decade basically. And, how do you transition from playing football to, to being a franchisee? Well, I learned literally in my rookie year up in Indianapolis um, that NFL stands for not for long <laughs> and that you better have a second career planned out before, uh, before that day comes. And so I started researching 
you know, businesses and, and franchises and things that I could get into from, you know, dry cleaners to hair salons to subways or whatever. And McDonald's was always one of my first, but I looked into them pretty quickly and realized that if you're not a hundred percent involved in the day to day and uh, running the business yourself, that you, they're not going to, they're not going to let you get in. So I waited. And then the day after I uh, retired or was retired, you know, cause most of us don't retire. We just get retired. Yeah. Uh, so that when that day came, um, that was the first place I, I applied for and actually got rejected and waited a few months and applied again, got rejected, waited a few months and applied again after meeting with a, a gentleman that I knew um, from A&M that used to own some McDonald's. And so, you know, he kind of, he kind of opened the door, Ron Blatchley, he opened the door for me to, uh, to get an interview. And I flew, I flew out to Arizona, met with the uh, West division president, you know, me and my wife, uh, Tiffany, and uh, just really sold him on the fact that, Hey, we're not, I'm not looking to be an investor. I'm not looking to, uh, you know, put my money someplace safe. You know, I want to run it. I want to be involved. I want to do whatever it takes to, to own and, and run a McDonald's and, you know, was able to, to get in the program and took me about a year and a half, Drew. It's a, it's a brutal program. Yeah. But they train you top to bottom, man. You learn how to do everything in a restaurant, which is great. Cause I didn't know how to do any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew how to snap a football and, you know, block defensive linemen. But you know, when it came to, uh, to running a restaurant operationally and in the business side of it, you know, I was clueless. So it was, it was a great training program. I learned a lot. Um, very humbling. I'm not gonna lie, you know, cause you work, in the restaurant, you know, you're yeah. putting on a crew uniform, you're taking orders in the drive-through, you're making French fries and hamburgers and dealing with upset customers and everything that goes into to working in, in fast food. And I remember one time a guy came through, it was right after I'd just finished playing and I was in the drive-through over at the Fairmont McDonald's right there off 45 and Beltway eight. And, um, he worked at Fox news actually. and was a guy that, you know, I'd, been a cameraman and interviewed me and stuff like that in the past. <laughs> he looked at me like, man, you know, this, you've really fallen on some hard times. <laughs> <laughs> if you only knew though, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, no, and I'm in the, I'm in the training program, you know, I'm trying to trying to own one of these one day. So, but uh, I, it was funny because I would get those looks from customers from time to time, you know, that really followed the Texans and knew who I was. And they'd look at me and double take, <laughs> like, wait, what are you doing here? And, uh, <laughs> It was, it was very humbling at times, but man, it was, it's, it's been worth it. You know, it's paid off been a, been a blessing to me and my family. So we love McDonald's. That's great. I don't know much about that, that end of the business, but I've heard stories like yours. Like when you become a franchisee, especially with them, it's a pretty, like you said, grueling process. Now I do know I waited tables at the Mason jar in, in Houston for two summers. And back then when uh, I was more of a jackass, I thought this was like overwhelming. So I just like that small portion of uh, the food service industry, I, I have a lot of respect for. So I can't imagine having to run the entire thing. And was yeah. there a, was there a moment you talk about some of the, the folks seeing you in the drive through? But was there was there another moment where you said humbling that really were you were just like, what the absolute hell am I doing this for? Like, I, surely that came up a time or two, right? Oh man, it did. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, there, when you're when you're doing that for a year plus and you're not getting paid right this is all right. for free and for you know it's training you're getting paid through the training but there were plenty of times you know where i'm working a you know 
late night shift and you know it's 10 11 o'clock at night and i'm walking around the parking lot you know picking up pieces of trash here and there and you know getting home barely seeing my family and stuff like that there was times where i was like man is this is this really worth it you know this is this is a lot you know here there's probably other things i could be doing you know i could go get a job work for a big company or something you know work my way up the ladder you know so there were there were moments where i had those thoughts you know but i just kept pressing through my wife just kept pushing me and you know when because everybody has those weak moments everybody when things get tough you know you 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 question things but I, I powered through it and you know thank god I did you know because there was there was a light at the end of the tunnel and there's times throughout that training where you can't see that light you have no idea how much longer you have there's no there's no hey you know step one two three and you're finished at this date there is not a, none of that you know, you're kind of at their mercy as you're going through this training. So there was, there was months where I was just clueless as to when this would ever end. And, um, you know, very challenged mentally and physically. Uh, but I persevered, you know, and I think the NFL and football and all my training really helped me with that, yeah. that mental toughness aspect of it, of just, just grinding through it and just uh, embracing the grind and just pushing, pushing through the, the tough times. Yeah. If you can make it through a training camp in Houston or, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, summer summer drills at, at in College Station. You can you can definitely make it through that. I, I, I'm sure. Yeah. Let's right. talk about your days as an Aggie. You know, I'm sort of around your age. I graduated high school in '96, so I remember the Aggies were bullies, man. In the mid '90s, early '90s, yeah. late '80s, still at the end of the Southwest Conference, and you're kind of there as they switch over into the Big Twelve. You were there with RC Slocum, who, holy moly, mm-hmm. that guy can coach. And what mm-hmm. was it like? <laughs> going to texas a&m when they were at that you know at the the, the peak of those powers I, I guess you could say andrew for me it was just kind of like a dream come true because i grew up from the age of one through 16 in centerville texas about an hour from college yep. station yep my grandfather went to a&m uh we were big aggies growing up we'd go to like games every saturday very you know probably made it to most home games growing up um, so I just had a, you know, I bled maroon, bottom line. You know, I was a big A&M fan from birth. So for me, I remember it, it kind of, the light switch kind of went on in about seventh, I think seventh grade. I remember, because up until that point, Drew, I just wanted to be in the band. I just wanted to play <laughs> trombone or tuba or something in the band, you know, because I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Right. Um, didn't really think a kid out of Centerville, you know, could ever actually step on the Kyle field in a uniform and, and play football. So, but I remember in seventh grade, I was watching anyone play Hawaii on their opening game. And that's when it, it just really clicked in my head. I'm like, you know what? I want to, I'm going to play football at AM. and And now from that day on, that became my goal. And I worked towards that. And my junior year after my junior year, but right before my senior year, it was back in those days, you, colleges couldn't call you. And they called me on the day that they were allowed to call me at mm-hmm. midnight A&M called me and they didn't offer me at that time. I was hoping they would, but they didn't offer me. But the fact that they had called me, they were my first call, you know, made me feel good and felt like I had a chance. And then I think it was, you know, probably a week or two later, you know, some of these other big schools had started offering scholarships and then sure enough, here comes the A&M offer. And, uh, you know, I jumped right on it and uh, I'm not going to say that I was, <laughs> like any 18 year old you get confused right so I committed to A&M and you know a couple months later you know Notre Dame's pushing hard for me and wow. that, this was Lou Holtz, Holtz, you know, Holtz and, 
Notre Dame was a bunch of bullies too. You know, they were ranked number one in the country all yeah. season. That was the year they lost to Boston College oh. um, on that last second field goal. The Rudy year. Yeah. They had just beaten Florida State number one the week yeah, before. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, you know, Rudy had just come out in the theaters, yep. you know, like, dude, you know, I went up there on a visit and saw Touchdown Jesus and met the actual Rudy. And <laughs> I'm like, how can I, how can I not go to Notre Dame? You know, this yeah. is crazy, you know? Um, and so I ended up committing to Notre Dame after, after growing up in Aggie my entire life, you know, my parents were like, yeah, they were trying to be supportive, but I think they were kind of, uh, you know, a little heartbroken inside, you know, they didn't really share that with me, but luckily I'm sitting there watching A&M and Notre Dame played in the Cotton Bowl that year. Hell of a game. Hell of a game. And I was committed to Notre Dame during that game, by the way. But I was rooting for A&M yep. for some reason. And that's that's kind of what you know made me realize that, you know, I got to go where my heart's at. You know, yeah, Notre Dame may be the cool new shiny object that, you know, makes me look cool to everybody. But the reality is, is that A&M was where my heart was. And so I realized it watching that football game and A&M lost and I still wanted to go there. So I did end up committing A&M and, and, and signing there. Thank God. And uh, it was fun, man. I, I had a great experience at A&M. It was a dream come true running out on Kyle field. Um, you know, even to this day, I go back to games and just love the atmosphere, love the, love the community, love the, love the university. So. Yeah. Was, yeah. Fun place with you know so many fun traditions and, they got something building now too with Jimbo Fisher. Did, did that game? There was there was like a hook and ladder to Leland McElroy that didn't yeah. almost. What was that? Is that how that ended? Is it my? That is how that ended. It was yeah. it was set up beautifully, and yeah. unfortunately, the guy that caught the ball that was supposed to throw the the hook um, yeah. got hit as he was throwing it, so he That's just kind of threw it off and he missed it. But if he'd have caught it in stride, he'd have been gone. So that was that was a pretty exciting game. Kids, if you don't know who Leland McElroy is, think like Tyreek Hill or yeah. Reggie Bush, kind of like that. I mean, he was – that guy was electric. So that fast. guy was electric. Yeah. yeah, he was so fast. I remember my um, – I remember watching him in the offseason. We'd run 40s, right? And they'd have these electronic timers or whatever. You know, electronic start, electronic finish. Mm -hmm. You know, That's going to make you slow when you do that. And he was, I'd never seen anybody run that fast. I think he ran like a four, three, one or something on that. And I was just like, goodness. I mean, you could yeah. hear it. It's like just. Whoosh, yeah. Just uh, and he had the football moves to match it too. He wasn't just a fast, like he was a good, he was a good football player. He was yeah. quick, but yeah, his, his straight line speed was just unbelievable. So as somebody who grew up around these parts, you know, Centerville, Clear Lake, all that stuff and you're in the NFL, and you're still early in your NFL career, how much did you notice when you saw a businessman from Houston named Bob McNair, you know, acquired the rights, and, hey, Houston is going to get a franchise. The Oilers left while you were in college. But how much were you paying attention to that and, and cognizant of that? I was probably paying attention to it more than anybody. Really? In the whole country. Um, because I knew the second – they got I knew exactly who Bob McNair was I knew the second he got the franchise and I knew the second they were going to play in the year 2002 and just so happens that was the same season I was going to be an unrestricted free agent and were you lining uh, that up in your mind in 1999 oh, when it when it got yeah yeah 100 I was like wow you know, I was drafted in 98 
Right. You know, I knew that the Colts at the most had four years of my rights, unless they put the franchise tag on me, which, you know, I didn't, wouldn't expect them to do that to a left guard at the time. <laughs> but as soon as I saw 99 there, you know, first year is going to be 2002. I'm like, I'm going to be an unrestricted free agent, most likely. And, you know, so in, that was always kind of in the back of my mind. I'm like, unless Indianapolis, like really just, you know, backs up a Brinks truck, um, you know, that's going to be my first priority is trying to get, get to Houston. Um, so when I did become an unrestricted free agent, I had some other offers, you know, I had some other, a few other teams that were, that were on me. Uh, but Houston was our first call. Mm-hmm. I told my agent, I said, look, I said, just get me the best deal you can get me in Houston. That's where I want to be. You know, if they don't want me or, if, you know, they're not willing to, you know, pay close to what other people are playing, then we can talk. But I said, anything close, <laughs> anything, even in the ballpark of what anybody else is offering, Houston's where I want to end up. Uh, so he knew that. And, you know, obviously the rest is history because uh, it, it all worked out. You know, this, this was, this is where I want to be. This is home, you know, win or lose. You know, I knew it would be tough sledding in the beginning, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, you know, Houston, Houston's home and getting to play for your hometown team. Uh, there's nothing like it. There really isn't. There's nothing like it. What was it like? Because, the expansion draft, you're a free agent. So you were, you were outside of that expansion draft. A lot of those guys came yeah. in and they, they really went defense heavy. And yeah. that was a good defense. Those first few years you were, you were oh, with yeah. the Texans. Really, really sure. good defense. And there were really good veterans on that team. Mm-hmm. What was that like, you know, being in the locker room with, all the, with those vets, but also having a lot of young guys and a lot of guys who were sort of on the fringes of, of the NFL because of, you know, you were an expansion team. What was that like being in that soup of people, that gumbo of people and, and trying to figure out, hey, this is what we got to do? Because you talked earlier about you got to practice 100% and you'll see the improvement. I don't imagine that everyone had that same mindset just because they hadn't experienced that like you. What was that like? Uh, no, you're right, Drew. I mean, it was, uh, it, was, it was different because I went from being, you know, when you're, you're in Indianapolis, you know, second, third, fourth year player. Yeah, I guess you're a veteran, but you're not really quite a, you know, one of the top team leaders, you know, I'm on a team with, you know, guys that have been in the league eight, nine, 10, 12 years all over the place. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you go to Houston and you look around the locker room and you're like, holy crap, you know, I'm one of the oldest guys in here. Steve, I know the feeling. It's tough being an old guy. You're not old though. Old is just the state of mind and you're not old. Neither am I, although I feel old a lot of the times and neither is our next guest. He is not old. He is always fresh of mind, fresh in mind, body, and spirit, and that's Brian Peters. He also did a little where are they now with Drew Doherty. That's next to Texas All Access. 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 We got one final segment of this Monday edition, Memorial Day edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, and we're going to turn it over to one of our favorites, a guy that was instrumental on Texans special teams for years was one of the uh, arguably one of the best special teams players the Texans have ever had. Got to the Texans after playing, I think, at about eight thousand different professional football leagues, and was just a gem of a human being. And on a day in which we celebrate those in the military, I know the military struck very close to Brian Peters' heart. And Brian Peters is who we're talking about. It's time to go. Where are they now? With BP fifty two, with our good friend Drew Doherty. Drew, take it away. There are many Houston Texans, but there aren't many 
like this guy, Brian Peters, one of my favorite all-time players for my favorite football team of yours. So Brian played linebacker here for about four or five years. And first things first, what are you doing now? Where are you? What's up? Uh, I'm in the exotic beaches of Columbus, Ohio, but um, I'm doing a little bit of everything. I'm lifting, living, and learning, but uh, I'm, I'm a performance consultant now. I consult on breath work and mental skills, a little bit of heat and cold exposure um, for pro athletes, co- college athletes, and one-on-one kind of thing, just by a select basis. But uh, it's been super fun to dive into that and learn. Like I've, I was obviously into those kind of things when I was playing. Yeah. And then I was able to translate it into the business world. And then everything keeps me active, learning and lifting. I, I competed in my first powerlifting meet two weeks ago. I do some jujitsu. I, I stay competitive uh, where I can fit it in. And then, yeah, then I, outside of that, I just, uh, I do a little bit of everything to stay busy. I love it. There's, there's a lot to cover right there. But how'd the event go? How'd the, the competition that you just took part in go for you? Good. The powerlifting's fun. I, uh, I fell into a like transitioning from football, I needed some structure and I fell into this uh, powerlifting group here in Columbus out at old school gym where we train at four in the morning. So uh, wow. that, stru- that structure was medicine for me. It was able to get me competitive, competing with myself under heavy weight all the time. And then it translated. I ended up, uh, I deadlifted 606, squatted 562. And then my bench, uh, I got red lighted a couple of times. On- but anyways, wait, 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 what is red lighted mean? What's that all about? So like uh, the, the basis, the basis of powerlifting, like the competitions is it's all form based. Obviously it's like depth yeah. and a listening to intention. So you like, got to like stabilize the weight before you can squat. And the same thing when you uh, complete the squat bench, you got to stabilize it. And then it's the bench press and powerlifting. You basically have to pause for an extent. It's almost two seconds. So like, you have to be able to control uh, the weight. But so I actually got red lighted because you like, I was wearing wrist wraps and I, there's like a stretchy elastic thing where you use it, you can't use it. But most of the guys I train with do it during training. So I didn't know any better. So it was a learning experience. But I wrapped my thumb and didn't give me any competitive advantage. But they red lighted me on my best lift of the day. So my bench was like under par for what I wanted. But uh, well, why didn't they just say before you were getting on there, like, hey, you can't use that? Like, what? How did yeah. that, that not come up? It was just, it was one pretty uh, tedious judge. The other judges were like, I would have never, I would have gave you a warning, done something. But some, this guy red lighted me. Some people like our, the powerlifting group kind of has a little uh, reputation too. So they look for any excuse to come after the boys. 4 a.m. Why 4 a.m.? It's more of a separator for his group of people. His name's Corey Gregory, who owns and runs the gym. See Um, who's committed basically. Yeah, basically like uh, if you're committed, like you're not going to be out boozing or uh, staying up late doing things like it. It's it. They used to do it at like. 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 5 a.m., and then, like, once 4 a.m. struck, like, only the dog showed up, and it turned into a really cool, uh, really cool thing. They had, like, they're a bunch of the smaller powerlifters. They hit, like, the, um, I can't, it's, like, 161 to 198 weight classes, and they have a couple world records in the group uh, and the RPS training method, and then, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really competitive group, like, pound for pound, these boys are, are strong. Now and, I've uh, seen powerlifters and there's there's some absolute monsters. You're a you're a big guy. I think if somebody were to describe you, hey, he's a big guy. But are you one of the bigger ones? Or are you one of the smaller? Where do you where do you fall in that that structure of, of that group? I, I'm I'm still pretty at my pretty much at my playing weight around 235. But okay. um, like I'm a I'm definitely like a longer lever guy. Not really built for powerlifting. Obviously, you've you've seen some like the big bellies, big yeah. bodies, big necks that fall in powerlifting. Um, excuse me, but uh, yeah, like I, I'm still like one of the heavier weight class guys, 
mm-hmm. with us. I'm between like the 220, 242 weight classes kind of deal. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's more like I could, I could care less about um, my look in the powerlifting world. Cause like when, when it comes down to it, like when you get under a heavy bar or any like risk you want to take in your life, like it's like, you have that self-talk where it's like, I'm going to get buried. Or I'm going to grow. It's like a coin flip of like success and failure. And that motivated me massively. And like just getting a dose of that every morning um, was literally medicinal for me. It reminded me of football. It's like doing one-on-ones and things like that. Like, like, are you up to the, st- like, are you up to the um, opportunity? Are you up to the challenge? And uh, yeah, then I, I just kept doing it. I've been doing it with them a little over a year, year and a half now. Um, I'm going to get into a bunch of crazier stuff here coming up, not powerlifting. Um, so oh. I'll, I'll phase a little away from that. Yeah. Like. Also, I'm doing, I'm doing a 50, I'm doing a 50 mile ruck, um, on Memorial day. A um, ruck where you have the backpack, like a, like a soldier basically. Yeah. 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 And then, so we're doing 50 miles around Washington, DC. We're starting at, uh, the veterans hospital and then ending in Arlington Na- national cemetery supporting the group, the 50 for the fallen is the charity. Um, but it's put on by the special forces trust. So, um, some of my coaching has stemmed into that world and uh, the optimal performance and controlling your state is, is military and they do it at a much higher stake than athletes do. So I've been gravitating towards them and their stories and um, their recovery from uh, serving and things like that. So it's been uh, just kind of where my life's gone. That's awesome, man. You know, yeah. and when you were with the Texans, you were kind of starting to get into the the cold tub plunging and I don't, that's probably the wrong word for it, but that's that stuff you were, you, you mentioned your breathing mechanics and all that. That's incredibly important, especially for snipers. You brought up special, special forces and whatnot, but you're, you're applying that to everyone, you know, because I don't think the general public understands and appreciates the importance of proper breathing and, and breathing exercises, right? No, not even close. And it's just something that it's kind of just like a missing pillar in human performance, not even like athletic performance. Right. Um, a lot of like, so my doctor sends me some cases that like people can't solve with medicine or things like that. And then breathing ends up helping everybody. It's all it's just like the base root of human existence. And you can prioritize it how you want, but like every other resource our, our body needs, water, food, other things that like you can survive days without water, weeks without food, all those kind of things, but like three minutes without oxygen, like it's important. And then like every breath helps or hurts you. What body part are you breathing in and out of? Um, Is the oxygen getting absorbed? Are you over breathing? So if you're over breathing, your veins and arteries are getting smaller. So you're getting worse oxygenation, like all these compounding things. Are you sleeping with your mouth open? Um, So does your tongue fall back? And then are you in a sympathetic state when you're sleeping? So you wake up the use the bathroom or wake up with a dry mouth and all these things, they deteriorate your sleep. And if you can't sleep right, you're not going to perform right mentally, physically, anything emotionally. Like, so um, my whole thing is uh, getting people out of that sympathetic state, that anxious state that we live in because we're overstimulated or stressed out or anxious or anything like that. And uh, it's just kind of how the whole, my breathing evolved into everybody gen pop and it like what we teach and what I coach and things like that are just like base, very simple things that have simple compound effect. Like, yeah, we can improve VO two max and um, push off the delay set of lactic acid and things like that for athletes and help them recover in between plays or uh, shifts on the ice or anything like that. But like every human should adopt breath work or at least an awareness of their understanding. 
because now like you can feel when you're out of control and when like your physiology is out of control, your mind regresses, you actually lose blood in the brief prefrontal cortex. It's like, I want to maintain my wits and my problem solving my communication skills as much as possible, but I really just want control. So like if I, like, any human wants control, we have a negativity bias in our psychology. So like, what can I do? And like the simplest thing, the lowest hanging fruit is the breath work stuff. And it's a, uh, simply you can calm yourself down and rush hour traffic or before you public speak or anything. It's just, uh, it's simple and significant. When did you start taking an interest in that? Because I know it for sure. It was when you were with the Texans, but how, how long before that did this, does all get going for you? No, it was around 2015 when it like, okay. it was it opened my eyes. I solved my sleep problems by taping my mouth in 2016 when I was with the Texans. Really? Like we had the, we had the whoops and we had the gar. They gave us the garments, I think in 16, and I was trying to be a pro and sleep nine hours. And it was saying I got five hours of sleep, six hours of sleep. So I was getting frustrated where like some of the wearables can cause stress because you, you do have a metric. But um, so I started taping my mouth shut and that like my sleep problems went away. And the research behind that now is dynamite. Like people that can adopt nasal breathing, which is the forced mouth, mouth closed, but mouth closed gives the tongue and those kind of things. But uh 70% of sleep apnea and wake-ups go down if you can learn to tape your mouth, like simple things. What do you tape? Um, you just tape it with like regular tape or what do you do? Yeah, I mean, like, you, you'd be surprised. So if you like Amazon uh, mouth tape for sleep, you, mm-hmm. it'll blow your mind how many products there are. But I use basic 3M tape and just go across my list. But some people think that's too rough. But uh, yeah, but things like that. And then, and then I started holding my breath in the sensory deprivation chamber that the Texans were sponsoring at the time. And uh, I noticed that my, like, cause we, we came into a scenario when Luke Richardson took over as a strength coach and we weren't running for the first month. So we were up our uh, functional movement, like our mobility, core strength, those things like that. And um, I got really into breathing that I was holding my breath like over three minutes at that point. Cause I, I was doing uh, free diving protocols and uh, Wim Hof and things like that. Just, I was just curious. I, I had no structure to it um, mm-hmm. or didn't understand the tool. But uh, when we did come back to running, like I was less winded than everybody else. I was running better as far as conditioning goes. I was like, all right, there's something here. And then I had a buddy in Minnesota that was uh, using breath work for mental skills at the time for baseball players and hockey players. And we kind of we ended up making a company around it that I started while I was playing. And then um, it's grown since. But yeah, it's just uh, that's how it grew. But so I, I was like the guinea pig, like performance enhancing side of things. And he was the mental skills. And then we kind of merged both worlds and created this company, the MindStrong Project. That man, Brian Peters, is one of the more interesting guys I have ever met in this business and may meet in life. That, and that's no exaggeration. He is a unique, intelligent, fun individual to be around. So best of luck to him. Big thanks to him. Big thanks to Drew, to Steve McKinney. To Obo Karwanko, my good friend DP Sidhu, and all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans. Texans.